chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is episode three this week, and it is a doozy. We've had some uh, fun this week breaking down the Tom Allen edition as defensive coordinator. We did that on Monday with Jared Kelly from the Indiana Hoosiers site within our network. You missed that one. Go check that out. On Tuesday, we had Ethan Grunkemeyer, Penn State's quarterback, commit at the time. Now Penn State's quarterback signing in a matter of weeks, Penn State's freshman quarterback. He spent 20 solid minutes with us on our Tuesday episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast, where we also broke down this 2024 Penn State recruiting class in, in, in pretty solid detail with Tyler Calvaruso. So we're not going to rehash that entire class over again this time around. But as we anticipated, it was a drama-free national signing day. All 25 high school seniors put pen to paper, made it official with Penn State, 16 of them will be joining the program in January as early enrollees. The rest will arrive ahead of preseason camp in 2024. To break down that and to break down our introduction to Tom Allen, which came after James Franklin's uh, signing day press conference, we bring in Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan. And guys, that's two big days for us in Beaver Stadium here. And in, in the last six or seven of them, we had our Peach Bowl media day. Uh, on last Friday, and then this Wednesday was all sorts of stuff. It was led off by athletic director Pat Kraft. Um, we, we worked our way through James Franklin, eventually got the recruiting coordinators and recruiting and personnel department folks, and ultimately Tom Allen stepped to the podium if it wasn't all enough. So I don't know where we want to begin, but we can probably start with the fact that, Mark, in a December 2023 across college football where it feels like every day is unpredictable, Penn State replaced two coordinators in a one-month span, really a three-week span, got to the finish line with the recruiting class, all 25 players intact, with nary a report that things were on the fence for any of these guys in the final hours. Yeah, it's it's almost like I, I wish there was more drama some of these years because it would be better for traffic. But for Penn State football, you know, I think what this tells you and – this is why we're at camps in 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 June. You know, this is why we're taking photos of of you know prospects three years in advance when they're on visits. This isn't a, a one week or 
one month or two month process. This is a years long process. And I think that's, that's what you're seeing with Penn state. They're selling James Franklin. They're selling the Penn state program and, and, and people are buying in. I mean, the fact, as you mentioned that you have two coordinator changes and you replace both of them after the season and nobody blinked to me, just, you know, it speaks to the stability of the program and what James Franklin has built. But it also speaks again, that this is, they're in it for the long haul. I mean, Cooper Cousins committed when in 2020. I mean, it's, it, it's insane that, that that these kids make their decisions it's not insane i mean it's insanely good for penn state and it's good for the kids too if if it's where they want to be that you know they're making these commitments and not wavering whatsoever i just think it's a really good uh, reflection of what james franklin has built that you're committing to a head coach you're committing to a program and you're not necessarily committing to a coordinator or a specific assistant yeah, and, and James Franklin did say that he couldn't quite remember the, the Cooper Cousins commitment location, but he recalls it being impacted by like COVID restrictions. He feels like they were outside. And it's funny because could we think of Cooper Cousins waiting so long as that first commitment, like almost a full year? And yet it took him about five minutes from James Franklin's recollection from when they offered him. He went around the corner, as James Franklin phrased it, huddled up with his family, came back and said, yeah, we'll take it. And that was it. And they got one of the top offensive linemen in the nation uh, coming their way in a matter of weeks. He's got an All-American event coming. We'll talk about him in the offensive line class. And oh, by the way, as a reminder that recruiting never sleeps, I don't want to go the entire show without mentioning it. Penn State's 2025 class got a little bit bigger today. And from a familiar school, Xavier Thomas, uh, a cornerback from Pittsburgh Central Catholic. They signed Anthony Specka, a linebacker, and Peter Gonzalez, a wide receiver out of Central Catholic uh, this, uh, this cycle. And so now, in addition for the 2025 class, we have commitment analysis from Tyler Cavaruso, fresh up on the site. Uh, Xavier Thomas committing to Penn State here on a Thursday afternoon, one day after the signing day. Uh, we'll get to him eventually. We'll get to that 2025 class eventually, but the focus today belongs in the 2024 group. And um, Daniel, when you talk about James Franklin's December and 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 adding this to that list and crossing that off the to-do list with get these 25 guys done and in your program, after you sign a, a defensive coordinator in Tom Allen, who has the head coaching experience that we know he valued, and after you bring in an offensive coordinator who, as we've gotten more to know about Andy Kotelnicki, was one of the true ascending figures when you talk about offensive minds in college football. So when you think back to being uh, up in Detroit on Black Friday night and hearing from James Franklin about, well, what's next after you finish the regular season to where we are now on December 21st, what do you think about the way the head coach has gone about his business? Yeah, I, I think it's gone really, really smoothly, um, all, all things considered. I mean, uh, just to go back to Cooper Cousins for one second, it was the his commitment was the last weekend of January 2022. Uh, I remember because I was out to dinner at a bachelor party um, when the the We Are Better uh, tweet came through. So it's you see all these guys sign and you think about and especially with this class, because there's been no additions since October and things were pretty much wrapped up in the summer that you really have to, to think back to when these commitments happened, what were you doing and all that stuff. It's, it's kind of fun, but um, yeah, I mean, I think this past month uh, has, it's been busy for Penn state. Um, I think you look at what they've done in the transfer portal or, or tried to do in the transfer portal. I think that um, it's a thing where their approach probably helps a little bit there um, where they are so deliberate uh, with everything and, and how they approach it. Um, that probably 
might help uh, a, a little bit and make things a, a tiny bit less busier. But we know that they're hosting prospects. We know that um, they're really recruiting uh, you know, certain positions out of there, certain guys. And um, I just think that James Franklin joked about it, that he slept more than five hours the night before signing day because he had both of his coordinators. Uh, he had the 25 guys wrapped up. Um, there was really, you know, for that moment, there was nothing to really worry about um, for Penn State. So I, I think that when we surveyed the landscape, um, you know, that night uh, in Detroit, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, there's the, the offensive coordinator search, I think, was going to really kick into high gear. Uh, we knew that there was going to be at least some player movement when it came to bowl game decisions, when it came to the transfer portal. Um, I, I think that we'll continue to get some more of these now as the bowl game really gets closer, um, you know, less than, than 10 days out now, um, which is also kind of crazy. Um, but I, I think that um, it's been a pretty you know decently smooth month for Penn State. I think that when you think about what they needed to do in terms of the, I guess, the checklist of going into uh, December, um, obviously Manny Diaz kind of his exit sort of popped up and added an extra thing to that to-do list. Um, I think that Penn State has done a, a very nice job going through things. And I thought that you know, Pat Kraft, when he was asked what it's like to be uh, going through a, a coordinator search with James Franklin, you know, he kind of said that it's very analytical. It's very deliberate. Um, it kind of goes exactly how you would expect it to go with James Franklin. And I think that that's kind of showed um, with where Penn State is right now. And I know there's a lot of focus on who's going to be around 2024, even who's going to be around in the bowl game itself. But it's a lot of this is about keeping players engaged through December. And and when you look at who you know, who has entered the transfer portal, it's been Alex Paquetta, uh, a reserve punter for you. And it's been uh, a Christian Driver, one of those uh, unproven second year wide receivers who wasn't really able to accomplish a lot on the field at a couple of different positions during his brief time at Penn State. That's it to this point. Uh, again, we're still awaiting more. Uh, bowl-related decisions that will be made. We, we heard Caden Wallace and uh, Curtis Jacobs, since you both were last on, announce that they will be uh, taking part in the Peach Bowl before embarking on their NFL journey in 2024. But uh, a lot to keep tabs on. And before we get to these new faces and, and, and new names that are going to become part of the nucleus for the Nittany Lions in these years ahead, Mark, what was the war room like? You and, and Grace Brennan were we're there for about an hour on on Wednesday morning. It's an exciting time every single year. It's a lot of hard work, years of hard work, as you as you mentioned, each cycle uh, to get to this point. What would you kind of take us through some of those highlights? Because not only is it the, the usual suspects around the table with James Franklin, but there's a couple new colleagues that are in town, and, and they came to town with a lot of fanfare. Yeah, I mean, that, I wanted to give one little anecdote because we had a photo and I think people may look at it and think, what the heck's going on there? And it was James Franklin looking back from the table and kind of laughing and Will Fries was in the background. So they didn't sign Will Fries again. Will Fries is with the Indianapolis Colts. But what they do is they have pre-recorded videos uh, from from for certain players uh, welcoming you know, the newest Nittany Lions. So they have one of Will Fry's uh, for Garrett Sexton. And as Will Fry, Garrett Sexton is also on Zoom or however they were doing that. And uh, as Will Fry's is saying that, Garrett Sexton thinks it's live. And he's like, thank you. And <laughs> Franklin turns around and starts laughing. He's like, he thinks it's live. It's, he doesn't realize that it's tape. But it's a really cool thing because before we get to the new coaches, um, and we see it every single year, but I think you have to look at it from the context that for these players, this is their moment. 
and, and for their families, this is their moment. You know, as much as the as big as the announcements are, you know, th that's great. But this is where it gets real. And so we see it every single year. These players and their families are seeing this once. And to see the dads, the, the pride, or the moms, the pride, and, and, and getting emotional. And I shouldn't even say that. That's sexist because the dads get emotional too. I would be emotional a, a, as a dad. Uh, but just to see how much they kind of, in, not enjoy, but what it means to them. And then for Franklin to tell the play, each player to make sure that he thanks the people who made it happen. And again, you hear it over and over and over when we cover these things. But you have to take a step back and realize that that these kids and their families are, are hearing it for the first time. With respect to the, the 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 new guys, as soon as we walk in, Tom Allen's sitting there talking to Poindexter. You know, so right off the bat, it's like, hey, how is Dex handling this? And it's like you, they 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 couldn't have, you know, been. Uh, they just, you know, it, it seemed like they were already kind of meshing. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm reading too much into that, but you know, just the fact that we walk in and that's one of the first things we see. And then Andy, Andy Kotelnicki was like working the room, and then you know I got a real beef with him because he stole Grace's camera. You know what is this guy? He steals her her camera, starts taking pictures, doesn't know how to focus. He's complaining <laughs> that it doesn't have autofocus when it has back focus. No, in all seriousness, it was funny because he grabbed the camera. And that just shows you who he is. He had never met her before. I mean, hes I doubt that he would have remembered from her shooting the, the, the introductory press conference. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he was, you know, comfortable enough uh, to do that was, was, I thought, you know, pretty cool. And then, not only that, but he got a photo of the person who has to be the most plugged-in person outside of Franklin in the entire program. And that's, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Zany Anderson, their graphics person. Zany must know everything that's happening days before anybody else because she has to design those graphics or assigns people to assign those graphics. So we finally have a picture of her and we know who she is. And it's all thanks to Andy Nikki stealing Grace's camera. But in all seriousness, overall, it's just a really good vibe. And I think it's a cool thing they do. Um, you, you can tell that the, the coaches are into it. Um, the, the support staff, it's also a, a good time for, they include the recruiting support staff and the, um, uh, grad assistants and, you know, everybody is involved in this, everybody who the, the whole support staff for the football program. So yeah. it's just a pretty cool thing that they do every year. But I just think, you know, people may look at it and say, well, we saw those photos last year. Well, yeah, just remember though, that for these kids and their families, this is a once in a lifetime thing, and Penn State makes it special. And I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, the, and the, you see so many people packing that celebration. It's it's the James Franklins and the, the position coaches and the coordinators. But to your point, Mark, it's also the people who are driving families out to dinner for their official visit weekends. It's them shuttling them back and forth from the hotels uh, to the airports, and and over the course of of day-to-day -day process, may not know what they're doing. Uh, on the job assignment, but uh, cool to see them all get a chance to celebrate. Yeah, one more it, thing, Tyler. Yeah. The the uh, the job that Brian Tripp does, you know, doing the, the the video package that they put together, and you know, so everybody knows when it comes out. I wish they could have gotten some better recruiting experts at the end to to, <laughs> to, to discuss things. Like they couldn't have gotten Calvaruso. I mean, come on, 
you know, <laughs> maybe for the other, maybe for the other outfit, they got a really good one. But I mean, come on, they got to get better recruiting analysts on that thing. They must have said, reach out to Tyler uh, and, you know, what, whatever happened, happened. You know, I'm goofing, man. You did an awesome job. Seriously, <laughs> I would not say that unless I thought you did great. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll compliment those guys all day. As long as they keep that kind of uh, show production going year by year, I'll keep tuning in at 655 and watching it all the way through. And to be honest, Daniel, you and I uh, are, are going to be plucking a lot of the nuggets that we dive into here from some of those observations because, you are kind of getting a window into the interactions between the position coaches and the players at a point in their career where it's just different. When they get to campus, that relationship will shift. Uh, mom and dad are going to be less involved, although I know mom and dad are still a phone call away. It will change. So it's cool to see them at this point before that adjustment occurs. And, and I want to begin with, with just what some overall thoughts, I think, Daniel, on this class. And, and I kind of tie it to what we saw from this freshman group in 2023. I don't know if a lot of these players are going to break through and be starters or even burn redshirt. I don't know if that that redshirt total is going to climb to where we saw in 2022, where you had 10 players burn redshirt. We saw five here in 2023. And the Tony Rojas's and Zion Tracy's and even the Andrew Rappelier's and, and these kind of players who, in my opinion, are starting caliber talents at different Power 5 campuses right now as true freshmen – their second, third team options, special teams contributors, scout team mainstays here at Penn State. And I think they've got another class like that where I don't see a lot of plug and play situations, but I see a lot of prospects who had options on the table that would have presented easier paths towards playing times. And I think that represents a buy into the culture and it represents Penn State getting to where they want to be, where you are going to eventually lose guys from this roster based on attrition. But you want guys to come to campus and compete and give themselves a shot. And two, three years down the road, they don't rise to that uh, up that depth chart. Then it is what it is. But you're getting competitive people here because Penn State, one thing we'll say about them on the recruiting trail and on the transfer portal that resonates time and time again is they do not promise playing time. Definitely. And and I think you look at the, the top four. Uh, players that they have committed uh, according to our rankings where you have Luke Reynolds at tight end, Quentin Martin at running back, Ethan Gronkemeyer at quarterback, Liam Andrews at uh, defensive tackle or defensive line. And you think about what Penn State is returning at those positions and how those rooms look. I mean, I think I was listening to the podcast you did with, with Tyler earlier this week and you talk about that running back room. There's going to be four guys in there next year with at freshman eligibility. And that's behind Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, uh, and potentially Trey Potts. Um, you think about Luke Reynolds, there's, you know, Tyler Warren has to make a decision, but you've got someone that's played a lot of football or a decent amount of football and Khalil Dinkins slated to come back. We expect Andrew Rappelier to, to take a step forward. And then you also have Jerry Cross and Joey Schlaufer in there. Ethan Gronkemeyer, quarterback, a little different because you can only play one at a time. Um, and then Liam Andrews, a defensive tackle, that's a position that you you need some development um, to go with. And then the, the fifth guy in the class is Cooper Cousins. And I think we will probably talk about him later as someone that could potentially be a little bit earlier uh, in the mix. But I think that when you look at what uh, Penn State did on the on the recruiting trail. Um, I mean, it's I think it kind of shows that they're committed to sustaining the depth of this program uh, to bring in quality guys that they can develop. I mean, if Luke Reynolds, you know, kind of pops and is able to be uh, playable that that freshman year, uh, I mean, he's a five star. There's a lot of high expectations. Um, it's going to be interesting to see 
what happens for him when he gets in physically and what that physical development looks like uh, for him at tight end. And if he's able to, and how he keeps some of these traits that he has with that physical development. But I mean, if you're able to use him as a contributor, yeah, that's, that's really great. You know, if you can figure out how to use Quentin Martin or even Corey Smith um, as a contributor early on, given that they've got some interesting skill sets, that's great too. But you know, the way that this roster is constructed and the the way that Penn State recruited is that you know, there's no one that that you look at and you think this guy needs to play right now because of where how the roster is set up. And I think it was pretty similar to how things were last year um, with the, the class of 2023, the way that Penn State had built its depth, the way that it sustained its program. Um, you, know, you weren't in a position where someone came in and you needed to, to put them in before they were ready. Um, and I think that that's kind of a, you know, real testament to the job that James Franklin has done uh, with recruiting, with the way that the position coaches have recruited, but also I think for player personnel, uh, with kind of gaming things out, um, you know, they've, they filled some holes on the roster through the portal. Uh, when you think about like last year, bringing in someone like Trey Potts, um, to fill a, a very specific role. Um, so I, I think that Penn State has done a good job of kind of, you know, projecting things out, especially now with how uncertain everything is. Um, I think that you know, we've, we've heard that from a couple coaches uh, in the signing day press conferences when, when they talk about roster management, how in the past it was pretty defined what numbers you were going to be working with. But now you know, it's so kind of malleable with guys going to the portal, guys coming in. You know, guys being able to have that freedom of movement. So uh, I think that Penn State has just done a, a really nice job. And, you know, I think that it's going to be interesting to see which of these guys are able to push, you know, who gets green greenlit uh, by the time September rolls around. But I, I just think it continues this kind of pattern that Penn State has put itself in of just really building, you know, of using depth and being able to develop guys out of that depth. Let's go off the top with, with a couple of those headliners and both guys who've been on the podcast here in the month of December, uh, fortunately, and Ethan Grunkemeyer and Luke Reynolds. Reynolds considered the number one uh, tight end in the country and then Ethan Grunkemeyer, a top 10 quarterback uh, across America. A big rise for both of them in the past year. We've documented it with Reynolds, but I'll just remind folks again, he went into 2022 thinking he's a quarterback, you know, approaching his junior year, thinking he's a quarterback, things change a little bit uh, personnel-wise. Uh, the coaching staff and him have a conversation there at Cheshire Academy in Connecticut, and you look at the the size, the measurements, the intangibles, they, they have a pretty good sell for his future at tight end. He invests in it. Lo and behold, after all these camps and after all these events you've shown up and what he can accomplish and now a senior season behind him that was highly productive – in my opinion, guys, he is as about uh, impressive as, as a pass target at tight end that Penn State has brought in under James Franklin's watch. Now, I had a good look at Mike Kosicki during his high school career. I know Brenton Strange put up monster receiving numbers uh, down in West Virginia, at largely playing receiver during his high school career. And, and what those guys are going to have in common as well with Reynolds a little bit, although Reynolds, I think, is, is bigger than, than where, where those guys were coming out of high school is he's 25, 30 pounds lighter than the tight ends that we're accustomed to seeing on the field right now for Penn State. I mean, Khalil Dickens had to pay his dues behind the scenes here. He is not the same guy that that showed up to campus at 220 pounds. He is now 240-plus pounds, and that's been important for his, his progression. Andrew Rapelier is a little bit different, much like Pat Fryermuth back in the day, a little bit like Theo Johnson back in 2020, came to campus with a, a more filled-out, profiled uh, you know, uh, frame. And, and, and at the same time, Rapelier 
and Frymouth a year older than their peers because of some reclassification in high school. Uh, with Andrews, or with Reynolds, I should say, uh, Mark, he's a guy that we have seen on the practice field uh, at Penn State's facilities. We've seen him over at State College High during the Elite, Elite 11 stuff, and we've also seen Grunkemeyer out there. So with some in-person evaluation under your belt, Mr. Brennan, what do you make of the tight end? Let's start there. And then the quarterback they're bringing in, because I think the quarterback is a primary example of someone who's involved in a starting competition on a campus in the Big Ten here in 2024. And yet we're looking at him as maybe your third quarterback, maybe your fourth quarterback for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, with Reynolds, it's going to boil down to what? I mean, you know, can, can he block? I mean, we we know that. That's 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 the way uh, that that Penn State is kind of wired. So how much? You just don't want to put on weight for the sake of being able to to, to put on weight. And, and I think some of the players you mentioned, you know, uh, Gasicki, I think was a really good example who kind of slowly put on weight. And I don't think, it, in all honesty, ever became a great blocker. He obviously was a great receiver, and that's carried him very far. But I think if you look at what where Penn State's at now, for a guy like Reynolds, his path to getting on the field isn't going to be catching the ball because we know he can do that, right? We've seen it. It's going to be Kenny Block. And with Grunkemeyer, I mean, the thing that I loved about him when we saw him, even before he blew up over the summer, was the, the variety of throws that he could make. And Daniel actually had a chance to see him on his on his senior night. And if, if you look at even some of that crappy video that Daniel shot, sorry, <laughs> Daniel, I'm, I'm ripping everybody today. But you can see, like, he when he's moving, he uses different arm angles. I mean, that's it's kind of – I don't know if Mahomes made that popular or what. Reminds but it's me not, of Drew Aller, who he trained with under the same yeah. quarterback coach. There's a lot of similarities there, and James Franklin did not shy away from it. He said – he was talking about the trajectory. He said, remember yeah. when we signed Drew? Remember the story about his rise? He said, there's something kind of brewing similar here, and I think you're right. The arm angle stuff, they're different physically. Drew's six foot right. five, 240 pounds. He's not going to become that overnight. But the way they there, – there's a little ingenuity to it that 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 certainly stands out. Right. And I, I think that's I, I I assume that's taught. I, I don't know, but you can teach that. But when you get into the and we saw some of this with, with Aller, that you know, some of his best throws were when he was under pressure. That's when those things, you know, it, it's fine to go out there in a seven on seven and toss that stuff. But when we saw him from the stuff that Daniel shot, and he actually did a good job. You guys know I'm goofing around on that. <laughs> um, know. But, but when uh, when you saw him in an actual game doing that, you know, seven on seven, they're just standing back there and somebody's counting to five or whatever the heck it is. You know, so it, what do you know from those throws? But when you see him in an actual game doing that stuff, that's where it's like, oh, OK, you know, now I see what the coaches all see. Not that I didn't see it before. But I think Franklin made another good point there is that, you know, ideally with any quarterback and it worked that way for Aller, you are able to come in and spend a year where you can learn and you're not forced into action. You know, we're not far away from seeing a quarterback who was forced into action and it pretty much ruined his Penn State career. And uh, so so hopefully this kid is able to come in and wait his turn and we'll see what 2025 brings in terms of Drew Aller. Uh, and be in a position to compete for that starting job then. In three weeks, uh, you know, Andy Kotelnicki is going to come back to this campus and, and get to work fully as the, as the full-fledged offensive coordinator. He'll have four quarterbacks on scholarship under his roof uh, at that point. Um, elsewhere in the backfield, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a praise put in the direction of the running back tandem. 
that is coming to campus and Quentin Martin and Corey Smith. Tyler Calvaruso and I covered quite a bit of ground on those two on Tuesday, so I don't want to spend a bunch of time on them, but something that James Franklin noted Daniel, was the versatility that both present, both utilized as receivers quite a bit at the high school level. Tyler and I talked about that uh, with Quentin Martin um, coming out. I think he I think he had 800 some receiving yards during a state championship run. And he's, we saw it firsthand in the camp setting at Penn State a couple of times. And then Corey Smith brings that. And, and another note here is just the mental willingness that you have to have at this particular position where if you're a star running back it probably means you've been the star running back on your team since you were about seven or eight years old or started playing football you've gotten the bulk of touches in your offense and now you're coming to a, a, a Penn State scheme where even if you are as good as Nick Singleton or Katron Allen you may still have to share the job so they're trying to find the right mental fit and the right versatile component for a running back room that let's face it in a couple years from now not everybody we're discussing is going to find success at Penn State. Yeah, I, I think that running back room is just really, really interesting. And you know, James Franklin kind of added a another layer to it when when talking about the, those recruitments and making sure that both of those players, Corey Smith and Quentin Martin, were committed to Penn State as opposed to just committed to Jaywan Sider. Because mm-hmm. um, Franklin, you know, once again put it out there that if Jaywan Sider wants to be um, a a head coach at some point, then he is going to have those opportunities. Um, and so when you commit and you're being recruited by a coach, it's hard to project four to five years uh, down the line um, with, with, with how things will look. Um, but I, I think that this backfield, it's just really interesting when you project it forward. And um, I am really curious to see how Andy Kotelnicki, um looks at these guys and um, you know, utilizes them. I, I think that one thing that we heard down the stretch in terms of talking about the wide receiver room um, after Penn State made the change at offensive coordinator was that when Jaylon Sider and Ty Howell and everyone tried to figure out what they could do differently with the offense, with that wide receiver room, it was the talk of, okay, let's focus on what these guys can do, not what they can't do. Um, and I think that you look at what Andy Kotelnicki did at Kansas with the talent that he had. I think that he his mindset is similar in terms of what can these guys do that maybe someone else can't do. Um, you know, how can we utilize these unique skill sets that they have? And I, I think when you talk about someone like Quentin Martin with that really extensive pass catching background and the type of athlete he is, it, it kind of makes you think, you know, when, when they're looking at him, when they're behind the scenes, it seems like the attitude is going to be, all right, what can they do that can contribute to us right now that can can help us on the field? And I think that both of those guys being able to be pass catchers, um, I, I think that that might be an avenue for them to maybe get um, some some earlier playing time to, or at least you know, show some different looks to help add some versatility to the offense. So I am curious to see because um, you know, we've seen Penn State uh, you know, split that backfield you know, two ways plus um, Trey Potts in there this season. And there's going to be more guys this year that are going to be physically ready, like Cam Wallace and, and London Montgomery after having that year. And then you're going to have guys that might have skills that, that could translate early, um, like Quentin Martin or Corey Smith. So uh, it's just really, really um, it's just intriguing to see the amount of talent that's in there, the way that they've recruited and um, you know how they can use the, these different 
you know, kind of unique skill sets that you see? Skill guys get all the love uh, as a former high school uh, lineman. I'm used to that, uh, but but let's dive into it with some of this some of these linemen because it is a large group. And Mark, to their credit, we saw this offensive line uh, class, and, and we'll get to the defensive line group in a moment. But we saw this offensive line clues class treat summer camps basically like practice uh, with Penn State. I mean, there wasn't a single one of these camps where I don't think we had at least multiple offensive line commits. Cooper Cousins, I don't think, missed a Penn State camp in the last two years. I don't think uh, uh, Caleb Brewer missed a, cl- uh, a camp this year as, a, as an in-state player. And then you had out-of-state guys making the trek. At one point in July, all five offensive line commits we're going through drill work with Phil Troutwine, just like they will be in 2024. So, Mark, what, when we forecast the future of this offensive line room, depth has been a big component of, of where it's gone in the last couple of years, why it's been able to weather some of the storms, whether it's been injuries or uh, or performance issues and being able to rotate other players in. And now you want to be able to sustain that. We've talked about losing a couple tackles. Salim Wormley has a decision to make. Hunter Norzad has gone at center. There are players that we think can replace them, but that's maybe just a one-year solution in some areas. What do you think about bringing in such a large class, which feels like it trends towards tackle, maybe more tackles than guards in this class off the initial cuff? Well, the thing that we saw at, at some of those camps, and really I think at all those camps, was the way they worked these guys at every single position. You remember that? I mean, it was really cool where uh, you know they're going through one-on-one reps. And Cooper Cousins would start off at left tackle and get a rep. And then it moved to left guard, like the next rep, and then center, then right guard, and then right tackle. And it was a grind. These guys were dying. And I just thought it was really cool to see. And and what does that tell you? It tells you that they're looking for that versatility. And I think Cousins is the guy who exemplifies it, who they look at as somebody who can play tackle everywhere from tackle to, to, to center. But the other thing about this O-line class is there's so many different body types. You know, Cousins is a guy, 6'6", whatever we have him as, or whatever Penn State has him as. 320. Uh, yeah, 320. And it's he, he looks like he can play right now. I mean, he's just that big. But then you have Egan Boer, Boyer, the kid from North Carolina, and he's like lanky. Did you say he looks like a power forward? I mean, yeah, um, yeah. We, we said that in the past. James Franklin said that. Just put it in perspective, he's approximately 15 to 20 pounds lighter than Theo Johnson currently is. Right. <laughs> and then then Harbor from Wisconsin is, is 315. So you have all these different body types. So I think versatility, who's going to grow into what? You know, who's going to maybe slim down a little bit? Because I think Harbor is a guy who maybe is carrying a little bit too much weight. Maybe I'm being too critical there. But I just think the versatility of this group is key. And being able to see what they were doing, putting these guys through that grind was 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 pretty fun. I know it wasn't fun for them, but it was fun for us. And you can tell that's how guys kind of set themselves apart at those camps. You know, it's like we're going to ask you to do this. We're going to take you out of your comfort zone. You may be a natural tackle, but you know what? We're putting you at every single position and we're going to send the best guys from defense at you one after another, after another, after another. And that's how you kind of tell how these guys are wired. And every one of those defensive linemen, usually 95% of them would not have a Penn State offer. They know that going against the Penn State offensive line commit could be their door. Uh, Maybe they could open a door by beating this lineman on this particular rep. So you're typically getting the A game from the opponent. And I will say, 
we, we've mentioned a lot of what Peter Gonzalez did for himself when it came up on signing day as well about his ability to come to camp and, and take coaching from the Penn State staff and then return to camp and apply it in front of them. And also his, his, his ability to, to kind of clear any, any kind of uh, flags or, or red flags from that previous injury and, and come out of that and be able to commit to this program and then eventually sign. Caleb Brewer, I know he came into the summer as a committed player, but he got better and bet we saw it. We talked about it after some yeah. of those early camps, you know, kind of wondering, looked like he may have been struggling a little bit out there, not really sh showing up and looking like a future power five offensive lineman and, and looking like a, you know, possessing that authority early on. By the time we got through the summer, he was a different guy. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that applied in a big way to the fall on his high school football field. But James Franklin referenced that and kind of lauded him on signing day for, for, for being able to show that development in front of them. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you get a commitment early. You want to see that trajectory continue. You don't want to see a guy's trajectory stop when he commits to you as a junior. You want to see him continue to build off that. Sometimes it means some uncomfortable moments and pushing a guy a little bit. And, and Frank Leonard, uh, Phil Troutwine, I, I think you know both of those guys know how to push the right buttons, and, and they've done a really good job developing this offensive line class before they come to campus. And while Cooper Cousins, because we said – Looks a little bit different than everybody else. Could play all five positions. And James Franklin said, yes, at 6'6", 320 pounds. He's a viable option at center, perhaps, for Penn State moving forward. Uh, he's the year one focus guy. But the down-the-road focus guy, I think, for everybody is going to be Garrett Sexton. Uh, at six foot six, 260 pounds in that range. We saw him come to campus and, and motor his way through the 40-yard dash. And we all got a little bit of a backstory along the way kid who earlier as an underclassman and in, in, in high school level football was under 200 pounds and playing quarterback uh and and you know nature does what it does and he focuses in on a new position turns out he loves it and he doesn't lose the athletic the athleticism he has a former skill player which is still translating to the basketball court for him as a post player along the way and you love how some of those post movements can contribute towards an offensive tackle and Daniel, what we've got in front of us here is what everyone is hoping turns out to be the Lane Johnson of the Penn State Nittany Lions. But I think at the very least is a player who ends up inside the top 200, but proves to be an incredible pickup by Phil Troutwine out of Wisconsin. They did really well for themselves in Wisconsin. He is the top rated player out of that state. And when you think about the history of the Badgers, the way they approach football, think about offensive linemen in that state. This is a fireworks kind of win that isn't necessarily getting the fireworks here, I think, among Penn State fans just yet. Yeah, J James Franklin made sure to highlight the the job that Penn State did in Wisconsin in terms of getting Garrett Sexton, Corey Smith, and Donovan Harbor out of there, um, especially when you consider they got two offensive linemen um, out, out of Wisconsin. I, I know that you know, that's a program that is going through a little bit of identity change um, with, with its new staff, but it was still something that I, I don't really think going into the cycle you would have expected to see. But uh, I think that Garrett Sexton is you know, just a, a very, it's a very cool story. Um, and I think that, like you said, it's a good example of nature taking its course. And I think that it's a, also a good example of, you know, how many years that this process can take for some of these guys. You, know, you have someone like Quentin Martin, who was since he was a freshman, uh, has been really on the radar and people have kind of known what he's about. But then you have someone like Garrett Sexton, who is a, you know, under 200 pounds playing quarterback and then eventually finds his way to the offensive line and really thrives. I mean, it, it's one of those things that it just shows that there's so many different avenues 
um, to, to get to this point, to get to national signing day. But I, I think you look at this offensive line class and, um, you know, Chuck Losey has a, has a pretty interesting job ahead of him um, in, in terms of what he has to work with. I, I think that Garrett Sexton and Egan Boyer, just because of their frames, their height, um, you know, their need for development, um, are you know what Losey does with them um, is going to be really, really interesting to see. And then on the other end, you have Donovan Harbor. Um, you kind of have like the two extremes of where you've got the, the guys that are kind of going to be on that you know, on the development trajectory of getting bigger. And then you're going to have someone like Donovan Harbor where the trajectory is, um, all right, let's get the good weight on you, uh, on, you know, get the size on you. And, you know, James Franklin shouted out Harbor uh, during his introduction about, they told him that he needed to be at a certain point uh, before the season and he got there. Um, and, you know, it seems like he's continued on that path. So I, I think that this offensive line class is, is really curious from that development standpoint, um, I think you've got the two extremes and then Cooper Cousins is just kind of in the middle as the as the ideal uh, almost. And so I think when those guys get on campus and you know where they find their homes, um, what they're able to do, I, I think that Phil Troutwine has a, a pretty full deck to work with um, as he's moving forward. And he's going to have the opportunity to try guys in different spots and really find what's going to work for Penn State. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Anthony Donka showed up looking big, but I'm, I'm just trying to think about who has looked like Cooper Cousins when they just said, you know, <laughs> showed up and said, "I'm here to show up. I'm here for my first college class." Caden Wallace took up a lot of a lot of real estate freshman year. What's that? Landon Tangwell. Landon Tangwell was was a big figure, but yeah, it's it's there's not a lot of them that come looking like this either. They they show up and they're they're you qualify them as skinny, or they show up and you say, "Well, they need to you know, they need to start to start trimming up." And this is a guy in Cooper Cousins who may be package ready for you. On the defensive side of things, um, we, we, we don't often see burn red shirts in the trenches, but uh, you're going to keep an eye on the impact in the interior here. I, I think in, in speaking with Alan Zemitis, uh, yesterday, he was obviously a former Penn State star in the defensive backfield, went on to play in the NFL and is now doing really big things for them and, and the way they build out this roster. But Alan Zemitis was able to break down in, in a really unique way some of these defensive linemen, and they really love what they're bringing in 
on the interior. Um, T.A. Cunningham is kind of viewed as, as a bonus pickup there because he's a guy that, that Tyler Tyler Cavaruso documented uh, on Tuesday had, had a long and winding path at the high school level, a few different marquee kind of spots at the high school level with, with, with showcase kind of opportunities. But for one reason or another, it doesn't always come together. It, it does have an impact on the recruitment process. And at the end of the day, uh, maybe not every opportunity that we thought would be available to T.A. Cunningham when he was a, a big name as like a high school freshman, as an eighth grade kind of figure. And Penn State, though, is in a position where they feel like if they get him in their structure, uh, they really see a lot of opportunity here. I think if, if, if you went man for man on that defensive staff, uh, you may have the most votes for T.A. Cunningham as being a guy who has the biggest ceiling here at Penn State in terms of what he can become on the interior. Uh, and, and you go through that group uh, uh, at the defensive uh, tackle position. Um, it, it's it's a Xavier Gilliam out of Maryland, 280 pounds. He, and uh, you've got T.A. Cunningham. Uh, he's bringing size at 285 pounds. Uh, you've also got a 260-pounder and, and, uh, in Liam Andrews, who uh, you know he's got to do a little bit of rehab coming off of an injury situation. But they loved him as an elite two-way kind of lineman. They think he's a, a top-tier talent, and he's another addition on the interior. So I think as you work your way through that and get to the edge guys and Jalen Harvey and, and Malachi Williams, and they really think that they got an elite edge rusher and Jalen Harvey there, there's you know, early on in his high school career, they were calling him baby chop. I think he may hear that around team facilities here, but Dion Barnes, obviously we, we didn't really know what it would look like for him on the field, on the recruiting trail, Daniel, he, he had kind of a weird timing with taking over, I think officially like the day before uh spring ball started. So here he is through his first season. Uh, we got to love the results on the defensive line through that. And we got to love the depth they were able to rotate in. And here he is through his first signing day. I mentioned what I think they were able to accomplish on the interior. And and and, and we'll get into that group with better detail on the show. And then we'll focus in on some of these position groups and their impact as this offseason uh, moves forward. But right now, for now, big picture, Deion Barnes bringing a group led by Liam Andrews, who's right around that top 100 ranking but there feels like there, there's some significant depth here, an opportunity for guys to pop up on the radar in year one. But I think it's a fortification of a depth chart that in the next you know, 15 months is going to look so much different than what it is in this moment, obviously. Definitely. There, there's a lot of evolution that, that's going to happen when you think about um, you know, Chop Robinson going to the NFL. I think we're expecting Adisa Isaac. Uh, to to follow suit, Denai Dennis Sutton's going to be a junior next year. Um, the the churn is just kind of that's just what it is um, in in college uh, college football. Um, and on top of that, you think about guys like Zariah Fisher and Amin Vanover um, who are going to come up against the the end of their eligibility. So um, I, I think that these next couple of recruiting classes are are pretty important for what Deion Barnes wants to do. But I think when you look at this group, um, I, I think that. In terms of Barnes, the one thing that stands out is his ability to get some of these guys, um, you know, to signing day to get them into the building. Um, I think that given where he was and his position and, and his involvement, he's known these guys for a, a very, very long time. I mean, he was with the program for for three years under John Scott. So I'm sure that he's probably been there for day one um, of a lot of these recruitments. But, you know, we know what the the roller coaster with Jalen Harvey uh, was kind of like, you know, over the summer when we thought it was a done deal and then it wasn't. And then you get to October and then he finally commits. Um, I think that Malachi Williams was someone who 
um, the way that Dion Barnes was was talking to him and his family. Um, it seems like he really, really wanted him uh, to get to State College, and I, I think that there are some other you know, bigger names that that came around calling uh, for Williams uh, uh, out of Monsignor Bonner. So I think that um, I think that Dion Barnes. We've heard we hear so much about his ability to connect uh, with these players and uh, kind of the the pull that he has, but I think that it really showed through in terms of getting these guys in, getting them in the building, but also the way that he interacted with them, um, you know, on that signing day live stream. And, uh, you know, we talk about the one thing that was just really cool about that, you know, Mark was talking about that a little earlier, that seeing these interactions is that uh, when you see someone like Dion Barnes talking to Malachi Williams, um, I think the way that Kenny Sanders was talking to Tysier Denmark, um, you know, it seemed it was very genuine. Uh, it seemed like that they were talking to them, on this live stream, like they would behind closed doors. Um, and, and I think to see that comfort, um, that the, the staff and the players have with each other, um, I, I think that that really shows you know, the way that Penn state recruits these guys, the way that it really is about more than football, uh, for some of these players when they do come to Penn state. Um, and I think that Dion Barnes is still, you know, he's still a young guy. He's not too far removed from his playing days. He has that cachet as someone who had success at Penn State, had a chance in the NFL, knows some of these guys from when he was kind of getting his start um, as a coach in, in Northeast Philly. Um, I, I think that that really, really shines through. So it's, I'm really curious to see what this group looks like. I mean, I think that T.A. Cunningham is the one. James Franklin kind of said it, you know, in a couple of years, when you look back on this class, you could really consider him a steal. Um, I, I, it's kind of it's kind of funny, like. Now, I haven't been in this job for super long, but it's long enough where you know, most of these guys, you know, they popped up on my radar when I was covering Penn State. But, I mean, I was still covering the Eagles when when I first heard about T.A. Cunningham. Like he was someone when he popped up on the radar, I was like, oh, like this guy, he's, he's still in high school. And I think that the way that they were talking to him, the way that they've talked about him, his development is going to be really, really interesting to monitor. And I think that he's kind of the most exciting prospect when you think about you know, the next two years, the next three years down the road. Yeah, sometimes in the NFL, you you get a guy in the second or third round that was, you know, going into his final season or at some point supposed to be a top 10 talent. He still has that top 10 talent, but maybe the prospect profile changed a little bit. And so uh, he's a three-star when you look at our rankings and you scroll your way through that list. And another three-star I wanted to really quickly draw attention to because as I was listing off those defensive tackles that the team is so excited about. One of them that they're very excited about is DeAndre Cook, and I failed to mention him at a Friendship Collegiate Academy down in Washington, D.C., so the DMV does very well for them. But at 6'4", 270 pounds, he is another player that they think is locked in and has that ability to come to town and really push. I think at the defensive tackle spot, uh, where we're still waiting for some answers from some veteran guys, Devon Ellis and, and Hakeem Beeman both have that COVID eligibility year six that they choose to use it at the college level. That's going to factor in here, but uh, we'll see. And then you know, just the fact that Jalen Harvey's already listed at 250 pounds uh, and, and where we think he's going to be uh, in terms of position, he might be the guy to watch in year one for this group as they were able to get it done with him. Uh, going over to the wide receiver room, it's going to be an interesting spot to monitor moving forward for obvious reasons. We're not quite sure what they're going to bring in from the transfer portal yet. Still no word on that. We've discussed crystal balls here. We've discussed a bunch of names. But to this point, Penn State does not have a commitment out of the transfer portal as of Thursday afternoon. 
What they do have is a need for production, and we're wondering if they're going to get it from a freshman class. It's been a little while since we saw a freshman show up here at the wide receiver position for Penn State, really become a highly productive player immediately. They only had one of those guys available this year in Car Carmelo Taylor, who took a red shirt. Josiah Brown's the only January enrollee at that position. He is coming in in rehabilitation mode. But you heard some pretty good intel, Daniel, from uh, the man who's going to be making some key decisions, Marcus Hagens, about both Tysir Denmark and Peter Gonzalez. What did you learn about them? What did you learn about the way maybe Penn State views their early careers? There's a ton of excitement about both of those guys from within the building. And I think that Tysir Denmark is someone who was on the radar for a long time. Uh, James Franklin talked about seeing him. Uh, on you know, out on the field, intramural fields and in some of the seven on seven uh, tournaments. I know we saw him last summer and just came away really, really impressed. And he's someone that you know, through the recruiting process, for whatever reason, we saw his ranking fall down a little bit. And I think from maybe the external view on him, he lost maybe a little bit of that luster, um, you know, to maybe in, in the perception of, of some of the fans and the perception of people outside of the building. Um, but we know how much inside of the building, how much of a priority it was to get him, uh, you know, after he committed to Oregon, it wasn't over that Penn state still, still kept on him and it ended up, you know, they ended up getting him through the door. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, Marcus Hagan's uh, when we were talking to him yesterday, he talked a lot about his competitiveness um, that was something that really stood out to him about Denmark. Um, he also brought up that kind of short area quickness, um, something that was really, really on display in those seven on seven tournaments. And uh, I think that you look at him physically um, you know, a little bit on the slighter side. So um, you know, what he does in strength and conditioning, how he's able to maybe put himself in a position to, you know, to be a, uh, to be a contributor early. We'll, we'll see about that. But I just think that Penn state is, is really excited about him. And, um, you know, in talking to Kenny Sanders about him, uh, they believe that Denmark is one of those people where when he gets to Penn state and when they put him in the structure, when they put him in this program and how they run it, um, they think that he can really thrive and that it's something that he will really benefit from, you know, not just as a football player, but as a student, as a person, as you project forward with what life is going to be like after the next however many years at Penn State. Um, Peter Gonzalez is someone else, too, that uh, I think that his story of how he got to this position, <clears throat> I think it really kind of I think Penn State is just really happy um, about how things went there. We talked about it, that he showed up at that camp, uh, went through a, a really lengthy workout. Um, with with Marcus Hagens, uh, they kept him there after after the camp and catching a lot of balls, running a lot of routes. Um, and afterwards, they told him what he needed to do, and he went and did it. And I think that that's something that that really resonates with Penn State because you know, we talk a lot about the physical tools that some of these people have, the the size and the speed, um, you know, how that translates to the college field. But I think that the coachability is something that maybe flies a little bit under the radar. Um, so I, I think Gonzalez was, he was super productive at Pittsburgh central Catholic. It's a program that has a lot of competition and I think has a pretty good success rate um, of putting guys out that are able to contribute at the next level. Um, so he should be, you know, I think prepared when he gets here, but I think that Penn state has seen that he can be coachable. They know how he's going to react to hard coaching to being told 
maybe hard truths about uh, different areas of his game. And they've seen how he's reacted to that. So I think that that's something that they're really, really pleased about too. So uh, Josiah Brown is going to be the the one that's here early. We're going to have to wait for Denmark and Gonzalez. Um, the wide receiver room could look very different by the time those two guys get to campus this summer. But there is a lot of excitement in the building. I think they like that it's two different body types uh, on top of that too. Gonzalez is bigger. Denmark's a little smaller. Um, but I think that there's you know legitimate excitement um, about what they can be when they get here. Yeah, it's 6'2", 205 pounds, a guy who has really refined some of his his attributes as a receiver in the last year. Uh, and, and Peter Gonzalez came on to this show and, and uh, right before his preseason camp opened up, and he told us he was targeting 1,200 yards and double-digit touchdowns. Was just, yeah, that's a pretty big expectation coming off of a 2022 in which he was really impacted by an, a knee injury. He went out right around 1,100 yards. 12 touchdown catches. So uh, really had the senior season he was hoping for. The couple of things you point to there is uh, missing out on those 15 spring practices in that first semester of potential advancement. And then the fact that we just don't know what's coming in from the portal, what kind of maybe proven power five talent, proven FBS talent this team will be able to acquire. But last year, it really never felt like we were going to entertain the idea of Carmelo Taylor making a major push of to playing time. I'm not quite there yet with, with this freshman class. I think they have the components here, a couple of them at least, that are healthy uh, to come in in the summer with limited time to do it. But they're going to have to make the most of August because if you don't get it done then, it could be hard for either of those guys to resurface along the way, depending on how that room shapes up. Uh, Mark, another area of the field where this freshman class is going to maybe have to help out right away is the cornerback room. Terry Smith, uh, during this uh, signing day show, indicated that he's expecting three of his top players off to the NFL. And we already know that Johnny Dixon is going to be heading in that direction because of the eligibility circumstances. But with Daquan Hardy having the COVID year and Kalen King being a junior, and neither of them declaring their 2024 uh, plans at this point, we're still waiting for official word. But they got three coming in, Antoine Belgrave-Shorter and Jonathan Mitchell, teammates down in Jacksonville, that I know speaking with Alan Zemitis, a former NFL cornerback, thinks they both have the ability to be physical really in-your-face kind of uh, players. That's kind of what we heard about a guy like Elliot Washington early on campus. And they can come to campus and challenge these Penn State uh, players on the field, start to assert themselves. And then Kenny Woosley, the word on him yesterday was future captain from a couple different people out of Philadelphia. So I feel like they've got three guys. They burned a couple red shirts at cornerback this year. They burned Cam Miller's red shirt in 2022, Kaylin King's red shirt in 2021. They will burn a freshman's red shirt. They're one of these three at least. And I think there's a chance all three of them could burn redshirt. Terry Smith has not shied away from it. You go back to 2019, Mark. You remember Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson showing up, playing a bunch in that Cotton Bowl. So I think these three names, Belgrave Shorter, Mitchell, Woosley, they need to be at the forefront for Penn State fans when we're talking about realistic burn the redshirt situations going into next season. Yeah, when he talked about uh, the defensive backs in general, there are five of them, and the corners in, in, in particular, he said, we have a tremendous class. We lost a lot this year, uh, so I think we we understand what what, what he means by that. And uh, they're going to let these guys go out and fight for it. I mean, that's the way it's you know he he, he did not say any one guy was going to be the guy. It's like you know this is all about competition, and that's one thing about about Terry Smith. You know, we talked about it with Franklin that no jobs are promised. You know, they spell it out for these kids. The thing I like about Wosley is. The kid's a winner. I mean, that's what James Franklin was talking about. I mean, you look at what he was able to do helping to lead his team to a state title uh, this last year. 
a guy who kind of had to prove himself uh, to get that scholarship. You know, we saw him at camps, I believe. Uh, but but uh, yeah, it's going to be a situation where they're bringing in these de- these defensive backs, and we know what they're bringing back from this year. The younger guys who you had mentioned have the op- would have had the opportunity to start, and probably one of them may have the opportunity to start here. You know, in the not too not too distant future. Uh, but that's an area that, that he's really high on, and uh, I would really keep an eye on Wosley. I mean, he didn't really single anybody out, but there was a little bit of a twinkle in his eye, like he thinks this guy may be underrated, uh, kind of flying under the radar. And as you said, when they're talking about somebody as a future captain, you know, that's the, just not a good player, but that's a team leader. He's a certified dog, as the kids say, too, because we saw him in the seven-on-seven circuit, and he was covering the alpha receiver on the other team, and he was doing it very effectively and making his presence known before and after the play. I mean, he is a presence at cornerback. It's one thing to make plays there, but he provides it. And I think that's the word that we've gotten about those two cornerbacks from Florida as well. Uh, By the way, Babu Torre and and, uh, Dejon Lane, the two safety figures, nice uh, complimentary pieces. Dejon Lane, I'm particularly interested in at six foot three, 200 plus pounds, what what he can develop underneath the direction uh, of a former big safety himself at the All-American level in Anthony Poindexter. And and what we were told by Alan Zemitis with with Lane, just to clear up anything there because of his frame, there have been some questions. Linebacker is not a a point of conversation right now. He's safety all the way uh, coming to campus. One name I wanted to finish off here, and, and we can't go and focus on all 25 guys. We spent a lot of time on Tuesday on several of these players and we just can't have a four-hour podcast here on a Thursday. And But uh, one more name I wanted to get to because I felt like James Franklin really showed his emotions on his sleeve with this particular player, Daniel, is Anthony Specca. He basically described him as someone who was born to not just play football at Penn State, but born to play linebacker at Penn State. And he projects it as a box linebacker, as a Mike linebacker type. I believe he was announced by Sean Lee. Uh, Dan Connor had said, I told you I'd get you, Sean Lee, uh, to announce you for signing day. So there's a lot of, of big-time LBU names involved with this day. Uh, Specka, maybe he is in a few years part of that kind of legacy. James Franklin put it out there, captain material as well. What did you make of what we heard? Because they're bringing in two linebackers into Tom Allen's room. We're going to talk about Allen in a second. And one of them is Kari Jackson from Michigan who was injured for his senior season. So we'll monitor his progression. The other is a kid in state out of that Central Catholic program that's come up a bunch on the podcast today and Anthony Specka. Definitely. And and, and one last thing with, with Wosley uh, out of Imhotep. Uh, he was the last guy that, that Penn State introduced. And I, I think that Obviously, there are some scheduling things that that go into when they bring these guys on, but I do think that the ordering of these guys is intentional sometimes. I think that two years ago, Drew Aller was first, um, and then Caden Saunders closed it out, and Saunders had been the first commit in that class. So I thought that that was notable uh, today or yesterday as you went through and you closed it out with the two Imhotep kids in, in Denmark and, and Wosley, who I think there's a lot of excitement about. and people really like what they can do but Did yeah you see thought, what Wosley was wearing by the way yeah he had some some uh nice lockdown you merch uh already <laughs> well, I, I actually this is one of those things i'm so glad that you brought that up because we have so much video i have to post a video of of terry smith explaining the strappy shirts so uh, I, I'm, I'm putting that out there as a little teaser that uh, <laughs> terry smith is going to explain for everybody exactly what that's all about 
I mean, Wosley looks he looks ready. <laughs> he could go. He looks ready to to be at Penn State. He's he's all geared up already. Um, but but with with Specka, you know, coming out of uh, Pittsburgh, uh, coming out of uh, Central Catholic, a, a program where you talked about a little bit. Um, I, I do think the moment with Dan Connor was was pretty funny, where he tells Specka, you know, told you we get you Sean Lee uh, to introduce you, and then you know later on there was a little interlude where they did a a video piece where they asked a couple of the players about. Um, you know, their favorite Penn State players or who they remembered watching growing up. And you look at it and some of the guys, it, it's pretty, pretty recent. Uh, Garrett Sexton and Quentin Martin uh, talk about Saquon. Liam Andrews says Chop Robinson. Kari Jackson says Abdul Carter, Micah Parsons. But Specka was in there and he goes Shane Conlon, Paul Pazlozny and Sean Lee um, as the, the Penn State players that he remembers. You left Connor out. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I just thought that that kind of shows that this is someone who really knows what he's stepping into. Um, I think it seems like he and Tom Allen are going to get along very well, uh, given the way that Tom Allen talked about coaching at LBU and, and being part of the history. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think that you look at Speca, you know, we saw him at some camps and in seven on sevens. Um, he he really does project as kind of that that Mike middle linebacker, hard nosed. Um, wouldn't be a surprise to see him coming downhill, stopping the run, that type of With thing. His lunch pail. Don't forget to let his lunch pail while he's running downhill. Don't forget of course, about that. One. Of course. But I, I just think that it's a you know, it was just kind of cool to to hear that part of it. Um and because we know that you know, James Franklin talks about when they offer someone who is an in-state prospect that they're very selective. They're very deliberate. Um, you know, they know what it means to a lot of these kids when they're coming up. Um, and, you know, to have this opportunity, uh, it, it really does mean something. Um, and I think that with Specca, it was someone who you could really, really see what it meant to him and his family. Um, and I think that James Franklin was, was reflecting it back to him. Um, a little bit. It obviously doesn't hurt that he's a good prospect who who was very, very productive at Central Catholic and definitely has a skill set that that can add to this Penn State defense uh, under Tom Allen. So um, I, I think that he is someone that, that was maybe a little bit more under the radar uh, in terms of you know who we know as some of the prospects, some of the bigger names in the class. I think that given that he was probably overshadowed by his own teammate a little bit, given how Peter Gonzalez's recruitment went and kind of the need and attention that is on wide receiver right now. Um, but I think that Speca is someone who is going to be fun to watch. And I think that is going to be someone who gets here and really relishes every opportunity, every moment uh, that he gets. Yes, hey, I don't know what he tested at. I, I don't know what his 40 is, but when we saw him in those seven on sevens, he was comfortable in coverage. I mean, a lot of times you go to those seven-on-sevens and, and there are linebackers or DNs who play in the seven-on-seven seven and they just look like they're completely lost because it's not really set up for that. But, you know, he was covering running backs and, and wide receivers. And listen, I'm not saying he's going to step in as a, a great coverage linebacker in the Big Ten, but I was surprised at his level of athleticism. And the other thing, if you look at photos of him, the size of that kid's legs, I mean, he's got some power to him. So he's at 220 now. I could see him being a 230, 240-pounder who could really move. So, I, I mean, a lot of, again, a lot of times in those seven-on-sevens, the linebackers, they don't really stick out. But he, to me, was a guy who was playing really well and covering some good receivers. Yeah, maybe not all that that different than than Kobe King in terms of size. Uh, you know, not necessarily a, a major physical specimen. 
Ben, but a guy who's going to pack the, the, the most that he can. And it's going to be very impressive mass on that six foot one frame, which is where they're both at in terms of height. Um, and Kobe King, of course, in year three came along as a really impressive Mike linebacker uh, for Penn State. And by the way, the production certainly there for Specca. He's the all time leader in tackles at Central Catholic with 326 of them. This fall, he had 94 tackles, 17 of them for loss. And to Mark's point, he had 12 pass breakups during the 2023 uh, campaign. Um, I think that's that's going to do it for the individual perspective here. We got we got some other stuff to get to on the podcast, but we have a ton of uh, stuff over at lines247.com. I think we had more than 30 pieces of content that were published over the course of Wednesday. So a lot to sort through for now and through your holiday weekend, really, about this 2024 recruiting class. We'll have more as well. We have a little bit more profile feature kind of stories we want to do on a few of these guys. Um, I'll have a, a thorough breakdown from Alan Zemitis on, on the defensive pieces of this recruiting class for our VIP subscribers over at lines247.com. Uh, one other note just to give people a pr more perspective on the, the longevity of this cycle. We got a good anecdote from Peter Gonzalez's father, former Pitt quarterback Pete Gonzalez. He said back in 2000 when he married his wife, uh, Terry Smith, and they go ways back, um, Terry Smith reached out to him and said, hey, when you have a son, you just let me know the height, the weight, the length, and 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 we'll you know, we'll keep tabs. And here he is, uh, 23 years later, signing you know Peter Gonzalez, the son, to come into his program uh, as a wide receiver. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, the kind of things that you learn over the course of signing day. Uh, we learned a lot on signing day. As I mentioned, it wasn't just about this incoming class. They were kind of bookended by Pat Kraft uh, at the top of the show. And, and we'll talk about some things Pat Kraft said, but there was a lot pressing there. Um, and at the end, we got Tom Allen. And that's when we were waiting on uh, that new defensive coordinator coming to town. Familiar name for us of uh, being the opposing coach with the Indiana Hoosiers for the last seven years and eight years with that program. If you tack on his first as a defensive coordinator, I felt like Daniel and, and Mark, this matched a lot of the description that we tried to kind of paint leading up to, to this intro. And, and, and when news broke and was confirmed on Sunday and some of the stuff we wrote about what James Franklin was looking for and what Tom Allen might be look, looking for, sounded to me like a guy who's taken a serious pay cut because he's not going to be the head coach anymore. And that's just is what it is. But he's also ditching so much of what comes with being a head coach at this level. And Daniel, the CEO type stuff, um, you know, you, you probably love it more when you're winning. Uh, and, but sounds like Tom Allen is anxious to get back to the basics. He's somebody who's going to be getting paid from Indiana $15 million over the course of the next two years. So he'll still be handsomely rewarded for what he did in Bloomington. But now we look at his new reality and he just sounds like as rejuvenated as Jared Kelly, the Indiana insider who was on with this as Monday thought he might be. Yeah, I mean, I think Tom Allen just wants to coach ball. <laughs> I, I think that when you really drill down to it and, and what he was saying and his answers to some of the questions, that's just kind of what he wants to do. Um, he talks about how this this offseason he wants to get a group of defensive coordinators together uh, and just watch film, exchange ideas, um, talk ball. And he said that that's something that he hasn't been able to do since he became a head coach. He talked about you know, going through, being able to go through all the film to get new ideas, to really learn his players, to really drill down um, on the scheme. That's something he didn't really have time to do. Um, you know, some of his answers, I, I think, were pretty similar to what we heard from Manny Diaz um, when when Manny Diaz got hired two years ago. There was a lot of talk about you know getting back to basics um, and 
being able to be a defensive coordinator again, being able to have that position room that that you go to every day where that's kind of just your focus and a lot of less noise. You don't have to put out as many fires all the time. And especially now with NIL, Transfer Portal, there's just so much more um, on your plate as a head coach. And so uh, I think that you know, hearing it from Tom Allen, though, you know, when Manny Diaz was talking about it, he had only been a head coach for three years, um, had actually had a winning record and then, you know, got forced out under, you know, kind of dubious circumstances, you know, from Miami. Whereas with Tom Allen, I mean, he was in that job for seven years. Um, You know, he kind of also sort of fell into it um, when Indiana moved on from, from Kevin Wilson after Allen's first year there as the defensive coordinator. And I think that that kind of struck me as, um, you know, with Diaz, I felt like the door was open to returning to being a head coach. And we kind of knew, that was going to be the the end goal for him. And, you know, that came to pass this month. But I, I think with Allen, the the focus is really just right now. You know, he wants to coach ball. He's excited to be at Penn State. Um, he said he was fired up uh, a couple times during the press conference. Um, and I think that when with that approach, um, I, I think that you're going to have someone who is really dedicated, really focused and, and really invested um, you know, to, to being in this position, you know, in that defensive coordinator spot. And I think that's, that's really big for James Franklin. And I think it'll be good for this defense too. I think Tom Allen's going to be okay. You know, he said one thing uninterrupted meetings. He said he was really <laughs> excited about having, you know, having a schedule in front of you for the day and actually going through every portion of that schedule as anticipated. Whereas a head coach, you may have a schedule laid out, but you have a lot of things that can pop up with a roster that features a hundred plus players, uh, a support staff that has dozens of people and all your coaches. And of course, this time of year, you talk about what Tom Allen can ditch leaving a head coach job and, and, and something that James Franklin pointed to. And, and there were a lot of parallels I thought from, from a lot of what we heard from Allen versus what we heard from Manny Diaz. And I think you can also say in you know, Miami was the hometown team for Manny and it was a really special opportunity. There was no other opportunity in, in head coaching and power five that would have been quite like that for him. The son of a former mayor of the city of Miami, a guy who grew up there. You've got Tom Allen, who had a tremendous track record of success as a high school coach in Indiana, who is an Indiana native. There's not a lot of opportunities, and especially with how it all played out for him early, that would have presented the opportunity. So he's walking away from a spot where you are probably trying to regroup and saying, well, what is next? What, what does make sense? And what do you think in terms of uh, a James Franklin and what he saw from the other end of the spectrum here, Mark, when uh, seeing Tom Allen jettisoned by Indiana as the season came to a close, knowing full well that he might lose Manny Diaz like he ultimately did to a head coaching job? Franklin said something interesting here that I think gives us a, a direct line into the timeline, and it wasn't something that popped up late. It was something where he's unemployed. We had the liberty to kind of talk this one through make sure the conversations were had about what Tom Allen was expecting, what I'm expecting. And it sounded like this was a very calculated situation from James Franklin, not saying this was the only man on his board. And we've talked about it at lines 24 seven on our message board. There were other names involved. There were other former head coaches involved for the defensive coordinator spot. But what do you think that James Franklin saw out of this situation, Mark? Well, one thing I would add is that to me, I thought Tom Allen sounded relieved more than anything else to not be a head coach. I don't yeah. see this guy being a head coach. I, I just don't. I mean, and with Manny, I think we all knew y you could just see the dynamic with Manny that, that he was going to get back to that level at some point. But I thought another important thing Franklin said, and I'm going to paraphrase here 
is that when you're judging these the, these people who are candidates for a job, you have to add the perspective of the job they are in. And I think if you look at the Indiana situation and you look at the teams that have been ravaged by the portal, Indiana, I mean, go and check out, you know, our line or the, uh, the pigs.com, their transfer portal data, data, and they, you know, 25, you know, 25, like guys going out, guys going out. Obviously, and we've I, heard that broke his heart. I mean, we, we heard from Bloomington that because he's a guy who says he wants to connect with hearts and he, that's what he's all about. You know, uh, right. love each other. He, I think that aspect of college football has as a head coach and how you have to deal with it so intimately. I think it really did some damage to, to his soul in some ways. I think they had a quarterback who was really good who went somewhere. I mean, you know, they it, it's uh, I'm joking. I mean, obviously, Penix was a Heisman Trophy finalist, but it's not just that. I mean, they were losing people across the board. So when you look at it, I, I don't think it was a coincidence that that program fell off the map when the transfer portal really heated up because it was just difficult to keep people. And I think that's when Franklin was looking at, I think that's one of the things that he was kind of getting at is that everything's not an apples to apples comparison. So with Tom Allen, you have to go back and look at what he did before these last couple of years as well. And I'm sure that he took that into account. You know, the job that Indiana did defensively uh, his first few years, uh, they, they were, for Indiana, it was just tremendous. I mean, you can't compare... In what Indiana does to what the the Penn States and Ohio States, it's, it's just very difficult to do. And I'm sure all of those things were taken into account. But I thought Franklin adding that perspective gave us a little insight into why, you know, I know a lot of people are like, well, look where they rated in the in the Big Ten in defense the last couple of years. Yeah, well, look at their personnel. They, they You know, it, it's going to be difficult. So let's see what he's able to do with what is going to be better personnel than he's been around in a long time. And James Franklin also cautioned everybody, and I'm sure he maybe he was on our message boards a bit, but on judging a defensive mind off of his success as a head coach, judging yeah. a defensive coordinator off his success as a head coach, uh, and, and not just win-loss, but how that defense is performing underneath that head coach because of all the other things that that head coach has on his plate. And James Franklin went so far as, uh, yeah, everybody loves Manny Diaz now. Go take a look at, at, at how things were going at Miami during the tail end of his career there on defense and when he was not the guy calling defense. And I know that there was some 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 gray area there with, with uh, relinquishing play calling duties with the former defensive coordinator. But ultimately, uh, Manny Diaz's numbers were more, more impressive as a defensive coordinator than as a head coach when you look at those things and you tie those together. So I thought it was interesting that James Franklin referenced that. And in terms of what else he'll be replacing here, and aside from Manny Diaz as coordinator, he'll be replacing Diaz as the linebackers coach. And for those who are not familiar, that is where uh, Tom Allen says his heart resides. And that is where his track record really is. And um, you look at what his ability, I thought this was probably where the emotions came out most to me, Daniel, and just hearing it out of Tom Allen's voice was, what are you looking forward to getting back on your plate versus what are you looking forward to getting off your plate? It was when he got to this piece in the linebackers room and building those relationships. And he talked about crossing paths with Abdul Carter in the weight room yesterday and saying, you are hard to block for us in Indiana, but I want to make you unblockable now. And Tom Allen says he's a linebacker from birth. Uh, it's where he played. It's where he, he, he's coaching. And I don't know how much time he's been able to spend in a linebacker's room in the last several years. He's got a damn good one here. It's getting some freshmen involved. We mentioned Specka and Kari Jackson. So what do you think about this particular fit, the component of his hire? 
Yeah, I, I thought that what he said about his heart being in the linebacker room was was pretty powerful. And you know, he got asked the question about um, you know coming to to linebacker you and and you know kind of what that means. And um, he was like, he's like, oh, I already know. <laughs> he was like, he's like, I know what the standard is here. He's like, I I know kind of what I need to do here as the linebackers coach. And I thought that he he had a very kind of casual flex uh, of his resume. Um, and what Indiana has done at linebacker. Um, Aaron Casey had a really nice year this year. Um, Micah McFadden is starting for the Giants. Uh, Tigray Scales uh, a little bit further back is someone who I, I remember really catching my eye um, in, in the late 2010s. And so uh, I, I think that he is someone who, um, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to flaunt his track record a little bit, but I think he is proven as a developer of linebackers and now he's going to get the opportunity to do it with someone like Abdul Carter um, or some prospects who are a little, maybe a little bit more blue chip um, than what he was getting uh, at Indiana on the recruiting trail. Um, Hmm. But I I think that he's just really excited to be able to be in there in the room. He talked about how one-on-one meetings are really important to him. Um, That's going to be part of his, uh, kind of preparation in this ramp up period before he really takes over full time um, after the bowl game. And he really wants that in his, uh, in his linebacker room. Um, so I, I think that um, you know, what he's able to do there as kind of a, a developer, um, I think is going to be really exciting to watch because, you know, we know what his programs have turned out in the past at that position. Um, so you think about Abdul Carter, um, you think about someone like Tony Rojas, Kavion Keys, uh, Tamir Robinson, you, know, you look to the future, Kobe King, Dom DeLuca. Um, there's going to be, I think, I think we're going to be able to see the impact of Tom Allen um, a little bit there. So I, I think that that's something too, that I think even more than being a defensive coordinator, he's even more excited to be a linebackers coach now. I believe we are slated to get Tom Allen and Andy Dakota Mickey actually again down in Atlanta. If I, if I read through the media schedule correctly, maybe I didn't, but uh, we, we do have peach bowl coverage coming up. And as Daniel referenced, we're you know within 10 days of this matchup taking place uh, between Penn state and Ole Miss number 10 versus number 11, all three of us, along with our photographer extraordinaire, Grace Brennan will be down in Atlanta. The Brennans are getting down there ahead of Christmas. Daniel and myself are getting there the day after Christmas, and we will bring you a comprehensive coverage plan uh, from there as Penn State gets set for their final matchup of the season as we learn the final bits and pieces of personnel plans uh, for this one as well as there's still some loose strings there. But I want to finish with uh, some alarm bells that were rung uh, in the past week in a couple of different press conferences uh, with Pat Kraft, the front and center involved there. Um, James Franklin has referenced in the past, he went kind of on a very long tangent last week in, during the Peach Bowl press conference about ta- uh, about tampering being ran- rampant across college football. Pat Kraft brought some receipts to the table uh, on Wednesday b- before the signing day conversation. And I just want to finish here because it's just such a really interesting piece, Mark. And I'm going to throw it to you on this one. <clears throat> he tells us that he was out traveling uh, with James Franklin. They were on their way to Las Vegas for Olu Fashion News award ceremony down there and there was an email received i don't know who received the email he didn't give us that nugget maybe james franklin did but it featured a list of players uh that a, a quote-unquote agent was putting out there and saying hey any interest and, and basically floating out that these guys are going to be available on the market in college football one of them who remained unnamed 
was not only a member of the Penn State roster, but a member of the Penn State roster who is not in the transfer portal. Um, we do not know how many uh, people received this particular email, but the fact that it was sent to someone uh, with Penn State is bizarre for several circumstances. But, Mark, this is happening in college football. The athletic director from Penn State, one of the most recognizable brands in this industry, is out there you know, yelling it to us and putting it out there. He says uh, it's this rampant. What do you think he's trying to accomplish? And, and ultimately, what do you make of, of Penn State you know, not being silent here and saying, hey, we're trying to do this the right way. Other people aren't. This has to get figured out because they're not alone in this fight. But let's face it, there's going to be a cluster of college football who's just fine dirtying up the process. Yeah, I teed him up with that, and boy, did he <laughs> – I didn't think he was going to run with it as as much as he did. But when we – hey, one of the things we've talked about uh, with Franklin and Kraft is alignment, and they're obviously very well aligned on this. Kraft called it the wild, wild west, and I think he just meant the wild west. The wild, wild west was an old TV show and a movie with Will Smith. But, the, you know, he made, the, he made a, a very good point that if – yeah, you can go and make – rules all you want but you know how you're gonna people are still gonna break them you know you got to be figure out a way that you're going to be able to enforce them but i asked him is this a some you know do you discuss this with other ad's do you discuss it with leadership and he said everybody's discussing it it's a point of discussion uh, among everybody but to your point tyler if everybody doesn't buy into it i i don't know what recourse you're going to have I mean, how in in the, in the example that he gave, where an agent, a, a quote unquote agent, and he didn't say who, and I and I get it. I mean, you know, it's you got to be really careful when you're navigating those waters. But what would the recourse be? Like, what would you who who would be held accountable? The agent? I mean, agents are allowed to 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 represent these guys now. I I don't, I don't know. I just don't know how they're going to figure this out. But it's a mess, and I think. They're going to have to get their heads together, and I think the fact that he's talking about it that much in the Frank and I was a little bit surprised. I don't know about you guys that Franklin went as far as he did. I mean, he called it rampant tampering. Yeah, and uh, you know he's he's not doing that for no reason. I mean, he's doing that because he wants everybody to be aware of this, and uh, so now everybody's aware of it, and we've heard other coaches talk about it what's going to come of it. And I think that's where we have to kind of stay with this, that, you know, the next time we see Pat, which, you know, may not be until, you know, big 10 media day next summer, but it's I, in all seriousness, I think it's important to follow up and say, Hey, where are things with this? Because it's one thing to ask Pat, Pat Kraft, but I think this is something where, you know, the presidents and, and, and the NCAA and everybody's going to have to figure out how they're going to handle this. Cause I don't know what the answer would be. If you've got a program like Penn State with the prestige and the financial power behind it, really trying to raise the alarm about, hey, we're worried about keeping our guys here. Our guys are being tampered with to go places. Just imagine the level of, of panic or walking on eggshells that is occurring on, on lower level campuses across college football Indiana. Right now. Exactly. I mean, uh, right. I heard someone make the point on 24-7 Sports National Broadcast, and they did like a seven-hour uninterrupted signing day thing on Wednesday. Um, made a really good point. In college football now – the recruiting process, you, you could say it ends, you know, it ends and now you get to campus and now it changes. But and depending on the campus, the recruiting process never ends because the players are trying to regauge their value for, for another, you know, and, and people are using the transfer portal 
as a way to get people to the bargaining table in different corners of the college football universe. So it's a long conversation, not necessarily one to tack on at the end of a, an hour and 20 uh, minute long podcast that we have here, but certainly something we'll pick up down the road. Uh, Mark, Daniel, great stuff, comprehensive stuff. Uh, been a busy week at Lions247.com, been a massive month at Lions247.com, and we've got quite a ways to go, as we said, heading down to Atlanta in a matter of days. So follow our coverage here. Uh, we will take a few days off of this podcast. We won't have another scheduled podcast until after Christmas. If, if something really massive happens and we got to do an emergency situation, we'll do our best. But hopefully, like all of you, we'll get a chance to enjoy some family time during the holidays, get right back to work after it, and finish out 2023 strong with Penn State Peach Bowl coverage. Daniel, Mark, appreciate you guys. Talk to you both soon. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks, Tyler. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll be with you again, as I said, in a, a less than a week, but not quite too soon. Uh, we'll take the weekend to ourselves here, uh, barring anything that changes. At Lions247.com, though, uh, the flow will continue. we got a lot of content coming your way out of signing day. Perspective from the Penn State staff on the prospects they've added. Some spotlights on some of these incoming Nittany Lions and a lot more still going on, along with a 2025 commitment that was picked up today. Tyler Calvaruso has coverage of that at Lions247.com. On behalf of the whole crew, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.